So we're up to the uh, end of uh, Jonah. We'll finish that up today. And starting next week, we'll begin looking at uh, at least the Beatitudes from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And if I like how things are going after that, we'll do the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And if I don't, we'll change to something else. But um, so I reserve the right to make that choice. So, uh, uh, but that's the plan uh, for right now. Uh, so we're going to look uh, this morning at Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 uh, through 11. But before I read that text, let me pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, we thank you today that uh, as we have sung, uh, how powerful uh, your mercy is. Lord, I uh, uh, confess that I believe uh, anger is more powerful than mercy. I believe that bitterness is stronger than grace. And yet you tell us that even love is stronger than death. And so I pray that you would be our teacher today uh, as you were to your prophet Jonah and that you would uh, reveal more of yourself to us. And Lord, I pray especially today for those of us who know a lot, who know the Bible in and out, who know our theology top to bottom, uh, that you would remind us today uh, of, um, well, just the reality that love uh, begets love and grace begets grace. Uh, would you teach us that reality in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Amen. So Jonah 4, verses 4 to 11, text is in the bulletin, also up on the, uh, the screens uh, behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So um, one of the things that uh, we do, uh, all the folks on the church staff here do on a regular basis is, we interact with folks and we realize as we interact with people, you need to get this, whoever you are, you need to go see a counselor because I can't help you. Uh, I can pray for you. I can tell you uh, the scriptures, <clears throat> but probably you need to go see a counselor. Now, what's it like if when you go into the counseling office and you sit down and the counselor is God? right? Because that's what's happening to Jonah. 
When God asked Jonah this question, he asked him twice, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> that's, that's a counselor kind of thing. That's, that's, what, that's what counselors do in their office. They, they begin to ask you these questions, right, so that it begins to clarify for you what your motivation is, why you are the way you are, what is it that's making you angry, right? Now, it, it's, it's, such a, it's, it's such an important thing for us to see here because God asked Jonah twice in this text, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah answers him the second time to say, well, yes, I do well to be angry. I'm so angry I could die. Which is ironic, right? Because the, the truth is, for most of us, anger feels like life. It feels like, it feels strong. It feels righteous. It, it feels impressive. It seems big, right? That's why we like it. I've said this a million times. We would always rather be angry. And of course, let me just say at the outset, whatever you're angry at this morning, you're, you have a right to be angry at it. You don't have to listen. You're off the hook, right? I mean, the, your anger is totally justified. And so God would never ask you, do you do well to be angry? Because he knows whatever it is you're mad at, it's, it's good that you're mad at it, right? The fact is, the, 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 the truth is, as we, as, we, as we think about this, we would rather be angry than be sad about something because anger feels energetic and sadness feels like death. When in reality, for most of us, most of the time, sadness might be the pathway to life, and anger is probably the pathway to death. Hard to think about that, isn't it? Um, and I know many of you are already, are already thinking, well, wait a minute, I have a right to my anger. Jonah goes and he preaches to the Ninevites. The Ninevites, as we've said before, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the most brutal, most oppressive empire in the history of the world. They delighted and torturing their victims. They delighted in it. It was, it was sport to them. And yet God sends Jonah, his prophet, uh, to go preach a message to them. And, and, and the message that Jonah preaches is that in 40 days, your city will be overturned. And they put on sackcloth, even on their animals, and they turn. The king said, let everyone forsake the anger in his own hand, their own violence, and they do that. And God is gracious and merciful and does not send disaster upon the city. It infuriates Jonah. And so when God comes to him and says, why, should, why are you angry? Why shouldn't I be kind to this 120,000 people why shouldn't I even care about their cattle? You know, I was, I was thinking about that. It's always struck me as odd that God says here at the end, you know, why shouldn't I be uh, uh, pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? That's not a statement about traffic patterns in Nineveh. That's, that's a statement about moral knowledge, about the ability of people to know what right from wrong. And... Uh, uh, they don't know that 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Uh, I was out in the country yesterday and driving around and just, 
you see these fields, beautiful fields full of cattle. And I thought about that, like, you know, I, I look at those cows. I grew up on a farm. I raised cattle. I, I've raised a lot of cattle. And uh, I don't think much of them. <laughs> you know, I, 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 yeah, I just don't, I, they're a means of production, frankly. And, and I know that's heresy in today's world to think that about any animal, but uh, the cows are a means of production. They, they produce things that for, for humans uh, to consume, and that's about all I think about them. But apparently God looks at them and thinks, I'm not going to destroy them. So his compassion even extends to the cows that live in Nineveh. So as we, as we think about this today, I want you to, to think with me, and I want you to have in the back of your mind these questions that God asks, this, these, these questions that he delivers to us to challenge us, to uh, soften us, to uh, wake us up to the reality of whatever it is going on inside of us that drives the, the anger and the bitterness that we have, because I'm afraid for many of us that we find our lives today uh, we find our joy today in being angry and finding other people who are as angry as we are about the same things. For, fortunately for Jonah, there was no one else to join him outside the city to wait for its destruction. He was left alone just to deal with God and his anger. And I would hope and I would pray for us that we wouldn't build our relationships, build our friendships, build our fellowship on anger, right? So as we unpack this today, I hope that you let God be your counselor. Well, you don't have to let God to be your counselor. He is your counselor. He is the sovereign one. Uh, and he will probe our hearts. And either, as he does that work, uh, you will soften or you will harden. He is the sovereign one, uh, and his counseling of us is always, always effective. So it's interesting. Let's uh, go ahead and put my notes up there. Uh, Michael, Michael's back there doing it. It's his first time. This is, uh, this, this is awesome. So Brian is uh, training him. This, this is good. Um, isn't that great? You know, the church actually is going on here. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but we're actually moving ahead. People are actually doing work around here and doing ministry. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. So do you do well to be angry? I don't know what makes you angry. Apparently what makes Jonah angry is the goodness and the grace of God. What makes Jonah angry is the fact that he's uncomfortable. He goes out and he sits and it's a hot day. And as he sits there, you know, he delights. Uh, he attaches with affection and, and, and joy uh, to this, this uh, vine that grows up over his head. Uh, and when it goes away, he gets uncomfortable and he gets angry. Now, we can mock this, right? We can look at this and we could think, you know, that's terrible. What a weakling. Well, let's, let's put you in the situation where you are hot, <laughs> you're thirsty, you're tired, and let's just throw in, you're hungry. How do you do in those situations? Are you a saint? Are you patient? Are you gentle? Are you kind? 
Or have you ever been in a situation like that where you're like, you know what, I, 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 I could just die. Yesterday I was, I was sitting on a five-gallon bucket out in the heat. It's a long story. And um, it was miserable. I was like, what am I doing? This is the stupidest thing ever. I, I pay good money for air conditioning. And here I am out here. It's a good thing I was, I was by myself. Otherwise, it would have... Um, it was just me and God and my thoughts. I'm glad only God knew what I was thinking because it was a terrible, hateful situation, right? So, so, the, so the, the, the fact of the matter is, this is a great illustration for us, a great picture to us that we're like Jonah in the, in the sense that if you get a little uncomfortable, if life becomes a little more challenging, if there are a couple more obstacles in front of you, you may not come to the point where you say, I am angry enough to die because I'm hot out here, but certainly, certainly, that there, there's a real window into, into the weakness and the smallness of human beings that just a little heat, just a little thirst, just a little hunger, just a little fatigue, what does it do to us? It undoes us. And it makes us say and do crazy things. Well, that's, that's exactly what's happening here. And God really wants to probe Jonah on this because he asks him this question twice. He begins here in the text, do you do well to be angry? And then in verse 9, after he takes away the vine, he says, do you well, do well to be angry for the plant? And you would think Jonah would get the, 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 the question that, you know, this is, this is God's probing me. God's trying to get me to repent. God is trying to get me to see something bigger here. But all he can think of is, no, I do what? Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And what's so interesting to us, to me about that is those are Jonah's parting words in the book. Those are the last things he says. We don't hear anything else from him except that. And yet what we see here is, is God's patience, his grace, uh, his, his, his mercy to Jonah, because he is patiently caring for him, asking him questions, trying trying to get Jonah to come to grips with his own sin, his own sense of self-righteousness, and to kind of expand for him a little bit his vision of just who this God is, right? But what you also have to see about this is, is that Jonah's anger here is not just anger because he's hot, but he's mad at God because God is sovereign and Jonah's not. You see, that's that's the thing here. One of the things you may miss about what the book of Jonah is saying to us is, is that God is in control, that he is sovereign over nature, that he is sovereign over the affairs of men, that he is sovereign in his mercy, he is sovereign in his grace, he is sovereign in his love. Next, next slide, please, Michael. So you, you, it is a, it's, a, it's a powerful picture for us, right? Because what happens here is, is that God says that he, the text says that he has pity on Nineveh. The word pity there is not, not a great word. What it means is that God, in his compassion, attaches himself to those 120,000 people, that he loves them, that he cares for them, that they matter to him. They're not just a faceless mob, but he knows those people. They matter. Now, now, that's different from us because we attach ourselves to, to all sorts of things, right? We, isn't it a weird thing about human beings? We attach ourselves to puppies, right? Don't we? I mean, people just love puppies. Most people do. Till you get one, you know? You like the idea of a puppy. But once you get one ruining your carpet, ruining your house, chewing your shoes, right? It's not such a great idea anymore, right? They, they, they become less cute. But you, you attach yourself... Human beings 
like cute little furry things. In general, we like that, right? For, for no reason. We just, we, just, we just love that. But for most of us, we attach ourselves in compassion, in love, because we, we, we have a reason for doing that. What are we attracted to? Why are we attracted to certain people and not to others? Well, you see, what, what happens here is God attaches himself to the Ninevites. He, it, the, the word here for, for pity, the fact that he attaches himself to them, is the same language that's used for Jonah's exceeding joy over the vine. God is attaching himself to the Ninevites. Jonah is attaching himself to the vine. Now, Jonah is attaching himself to the vine because the vine can do something for him. It gives him shade. He loves that shade. But God attaches himself to the Ninevites, and they can't do anything for him. God loves people. He does. He cares for them. Even the most wicked among us, the rain falls upon the wicked and the righteous, doesn't it? God, God provides a world. God provided a witness. He attaches himself to those Ninevites. He cares for them. He provides for them. And they can't do anything for him at all. God has no needs. He doesn't need the Ninevites to, to, to do anything for him. You see, God is sovereign in all of this. He is sovereign in his grace. He is sovereign in his mercy. And he attaches himself to whom he will attach himself to. He will be gracious to who he wants to be gracious to. He'll be merciful to who he wants to be merciful to. And we, what we would like to do in our uh, uh, sophistication is direct him to be merciful to the ones we want him to be merciful to and be angry with the ones that we're angry with. And yet God so often frustrates that for us, doesn't he? I mean, that is, that's exactly what's happening here. So we see Jonah exceedingly joyful over the plant and exceedingly angry when it dies. And so essentially Jonah wants God to leave the plant to flourish and to destroy Nineveh. But you see, this is the whole point of what's happening here. God takes nature in this book, and he uses it for his own purposes. He sends a storm to stop Jonah. He sends a fish to swallow Jonah. He, he sends uh, uh, this great heat to make Jonah uncomfortable. He sends a vine to give him shade. He sends a worm to kill the vine. And then he sends even more heat. And so it is a, it, it's one of these things where God continues to use the elements of nature to achieve his purpose for the people of Nineveh and also for Jonah. Well, that begs us a, a question, doesn't it? What possibly could be the purpose of God using a virus? Why? Because it didn't just happen because of some pangolins. Do you know what a pangolin is? I don't either, but apparently they carry uh, coronaviruses like nobody's business. Or maybe it happened in a lab. Well, regardless of, of where it started and, and who it started, God sure has let it run rampant, hasn't he? Or maybe you think it hasn't. But something's happening, and it has to do with the virus. And I think it's worth asking the question, what could God possibly be accomplishing with that? What could he be frustrating with that? Where is he attaching himself in that? What, what is he teaching us in that? And I, I, please don't begin those. <laughs> I'm asking rhetorical questions. Unlike God here is expecting a, an answer from Jonah, 
I'm certain that if you know the reason why God brought the coronavirus into the world, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. So, um, sorry to tell you that. So, if you come and tell me why he did it, I'll nod and smile and be kind to you and think, they're so wrong, right? So, uh, but the, the, the truth of the matter is that's, that's exactly what's happening here. God is trying to demonstrate to Jonah his sovereignty in that he can, he, he, can, he, he can take any of these things and use them and bend them towards his purpose, right? And there's great subtlety in the fact that God asked Jonah questions to prompt Jonah to a better response because he's not going to leave Jonah unchanged. And that's the thing that we have to see about this is that the knowledge that you gain in, in reading the scriptures, the knowledge that you gain in developing an understanding of theology, the knowledge, all of those things that you gain are not there just to make you smarter or to make you argue better. They are to change you. If you read the Bible and you memorize it and you know these, these great truths of the scripture and it doesn't change you, it doesn't make you kinder, it doesn't make you more compassionate, it doesn't make you see clearer the, the great grace and, and the power of God, if it doesn't convince you that the love of God is more powerful than death, if it doesn't convince you that the mercy of God is more powerful than your anger and your bitterness, if it doesn't convince you of those things, then you're in trouble. God is changing Jonah. He is, he is putting all of these things in his way, not just, not just to, to, to uh, teach him more about himself, but to redo Jonah, reorient him, re, reconfigure his soul, his heart, his mind, the things that he loves, the things that he hates. You see, that, that, that's the great mercy of God here. God is not just merciful to the Ninevites. He certainly is. But he's mercifully patient with Jonah in trying to change him and doing that work on him. Um, I, I, I am always convicted for some reason. It seems to me that most of my uh, experience of how unsanctified I am and how unholy I am happens to me in my car. So one of the patterns that Marty and I have gotten into is on Saturday mornings, I get up very early uh, because no one else gets up early, and I like to get up early and be by myself, drink my coffee, and then I go for a long run. And then because I have gone for a long run and because I feel so good about my health as a 61-year-old guy who goes out and runs, I'm convinced I'm in the top 3% of all 61-year-olds. I go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> because uh, a greasy biscuit, some hash browns, some eggs with cheese, that's good recovery food after you've run a long way. Well, the Chick-fil-A over here on Pyram Road is my, you know, it's my go-to place. And so uh, they don't let you go in and eat in the dining room. It's all drive-through. And it is, it is the most complex drive-through thing ever. It is so awesome. So I, I notice as I'm driving to the Chick-fil-A, there's a car that is tailgating me and then swoops around in front of me, cuts in front of me, and cuts into the Chick-fil-A in front of me, which is okay. All right, they need a biscuit, they, they're in a hurry. 
There's a poor guy backing out of his parking space. He can't see this car. This car gets right up on him, blows his horn, and he yells out the window at him. I'm taking this now as a personal challenge <laughs> that I need to correct this individual in this car. So I'm look, scanning the line, scanning the way the drive-thru is, and I think, i got to find a way to get in front of this guy. So I knock over a couple of orange cones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after all, who put them there? Are they, whose authority is an orange, what authority does an orange cone have over me? None. So I run over and I get in front of him. And not only do I get in front of him, but I want him to know that I know that I got in front of him. So I'm looking at him in my rearview mirror as he's looking at me. I'm like, yeah, see there, I'll correct you. I got in front of you. And then I hear the words, tomorrow morning you're going to stand in front of 600 people and you're going to ask them the question, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> and so I, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm going to tell people that you, you're in the business of changing hard-hearted human beings, angry, bitter small-minded, small little people like me and the people who are compassionate, people who are gracious, and people who are merciful to the undeserving. How are you going to do that? Because he is gracious and compassionate and kind and gentle to me the undeserving. So God finishes off this uh, story by saying to Jonah, asking him a question, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Jonah never answers. Now, some commentators want to say that, you know, well, the rest of your life is how you're going to answer that question. You know, the rest of Jonah's life is how he's going to answer that question. I, I, I get that. That seems very attractive to me, and that seems like a, a good way to think about it. But I wonder if it's the best way to think about it, because what I prefer here is to let God have the last word, <laughs> to, like I'm going to let him, that he has the last word. And his last word to Jonah is a challenge to him about grace and mercy and compassion. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. So is God making you a kinder person? We read, uh, as we'll sing in a few minutes, the kindness of God. Our God is kind. The kindness of God is intended to lead us to repentance. Secondly, uh, are you more compassionate now than you once were? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ, your great understanding of theology, your deep biblical knowledge, making you a person who is compassionate, making you a person who is patient with the unbelieving, and does it cause you to move in love, not approval, but love of your enemies.
Is the work of God in you making you quicker to obey and submit? Or is it, do you find a sense of righteousness and anger and joy in your, in, your independence and your unwillingness to give God the last word? And then lastly, has God's grace and justice grown bigger to you? You see, the cross of Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his atoning sacrifice, his death for his enemies, his love for those who stood against him. As we read earlier in the service, his, his cry over Jerusalem that would kill him. Is that changing you? Is that the determining factor in your life? Is that the key component of your identity? You see, that's, that's, what's, that's what's getting at, at, at Jonah here. And the great news for us today is that if you're in Christ, if you belong to him, God will not leave you unchanged. He will change you. He will work on you even if it means setting you out in the heat and making you uncomfortable, driving you to the end of yourself so that you will see how big and strong, how powerful his grace and his mercy are to you. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to you today, I pray that you would help us with that. We, we have a tendency to think largely of ourselves and... Uh, think very little of you. So I pray that you would help us with that today. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, be the questioner by your spirit uh, to open us up to uh, the work uh, that you would do. Lord, I pray for all of us today that uh, when the day comes where uh, we breathe our last, we can say that you did not leave us alone, that you did not leave us unchanged, uh, but that by your grace, by your patience, by your mercy, uh, you made us look more and more like you. Would you do that work in us? We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.